0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10
1: per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Good morning and welcome to Connecting Vets Daily for Wednesday, November 7th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame, and coming up on today's show, we're going to have a couple fantastic interviews for you. First off, we are going to talk to the Wounded Warrior Project believe it or not, they've never been on this show before. In the year and a half that we've been doing it, they never have. Well, now... They're going to be today. We're going to talk to Renee Bardorf, senior VP of government and community relations for wounded warrior project. And Joe Plensler, their director of communications and government relations. He's been on the show before several times. He recently took a position at wounded warrior project. He came in along with Renee. We're going to talk to them about all of the great stuff going on at wounded warrior project. And that's going to become a weekly feature. We're going to have wounded warrior project on every Wednesday. So you'll get to hear about the wonderful things that they're doing across the country as well as, of course, in our nation's capital on Capitol Hill. And we're going to talk to one of the most successful veteran entrepreneurs out there, though you might not know his name. His name is Gordon Logan, and he is the founder of Sport Clips, one of the biggest haircutting and barber franchises in the country that's actually expanding to be international with some locations in Canada now. He is a United States Air Force veteran. C-130 pilot specifically, also a graduate of MIT and the Wharton School of Business, a truly fascinating guy. We're going to talk to him about, well, business, about his time in the Air Force, and as we approach Veterans Day about his feelings on Veterans Day, particularly how the celebration of it and how people are treated these days compared to when he came home from Vietnam. You might be surprised by what Gordon Logan has to say. All of that still to come on the morning. Uh, Sorry, I keep wanting to say it. Well, we've changed the name recently. It'll happen once or twice on Connecting Vets Daily. First off, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of people not aware, but there were some political elections that took place. Last night, it was Election Tuesday, of course. Well, all day long, the voting took place, and in the preceding days. But last night is when the totals started coming in. And, of course, there were a ton of veterans running for office. Close to 200 of them, I believe. When you're talking about 400 and something seats, that's a significant chunk. Now, obviously, when we're talking about nearly 200 veterans, we're not going to be able to uh, tell you who won each and every one. But we do have a pretty good list, including a lot of the candidates from With Honor. And I must point out, former guests of this show and future guests of this show. Because from my math and my calculation, if you came on this show, you had a... Mm, over 80% chance of winning your election. That's right. It's the connecting vets bump. That's what happens. Because previous guest Dan Crenshaw down in Texas, he won his election. Chrissy Houlihan in Pennsylvania who joined us here uh, just uh, a month or so ago, she won her election in Pennsylvania right outside of, of Philadelphia. Re-elections for Congressman Brian Mast, United States Army veteran and Don Bacon, United States Air Force retired general. He was reelected out there in Nebraska. And one non veteran who's been on the show was also reelected, that being Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin. The only guest that has been on the show who was not elected to office that was running for national office that's going to be our friend Ken Harbaugh out in Ohio. But I'll tell you this Ken Harbaugh ran in a district that the other party. Uh, You know, he's a Democrat. So the Republicans uh, in the presidential election, I think, won by 38 points or something like that. He was significantly closer than 38 points out there, so I guess there aren't any uh, moral victories when it comes to politics. You either win or you don't, they say, but uh, Ken Harbaugh put up a great fight. Navy veteran out there, the only guest on the show who was uh, not victorious in his race. Of course, Dan Crenshaw, he made the news uh, in the last couple of days leading up to the election. Might have helped him a little bit. I don't know. I think most of the people in that district around Houston were pretty familiar with who Dan Crenshaw was was already, but after Saturday Night Live's Pete Davidson took a shot at him It brought him into the national spotlight, and uh, we'll see. I got a feeling that's not the last time you're going to see Dan Crenshaw in the national spotlight. Chrissy Houlihan winning her race in Pennsylvania. You know, she's someone who has a resume that seems tailor-made for someone who wants to get into office, who's going to be a little bit different. And she said, she's not a lawyer or anything like that. She came from the, of course, Air Force and then the corporate world, where she was chief financial officer of And One. You remember them, right? Basketball company, clothing company. They had the And One mixtapes and all that stuff. She was their CFO during their biggest period of expansion. Also was taught as a public school teacher in Philadelphia. Uh, it is a... Uh, you know, custom-made resume, as I said. Of course, Congress members Maston Bacon re-elected, as I told you. So now moving on from people who have been on the show to others who got elected despite not joining us here on Connecting Vets Daily. We've got Mike Sherrill in New Jersey. He wins. Martha McSally in Arizona. This is one of the big ones that you've probably been hearing a lot about. Her and Kristen Cinema going back and forth. Cinema was the one who in some interview with, I think it was NPR or something, said, yeah, go join the Taliban if you want to. I don't really care about that that's that's an interesting uh interesting uh, angle of attack to take there for cinema, but the race apparently too close to call out in Arizona still right now. I'm not seeing uh anything official, though a lot of people are saying McSally is up uh, almost by one point with less than one percent of the votes to be counted. So it's looking like McSally is probably going to win in Arizona. Uh, but we're not sure about that. Connor Lamb, United States Marine Corps veteran from Pennsylvania, he pulled off the win, as did Seth Moulton. We've got Van Taylor, he's a Marine down in Texas, won his election down there for Congress. Steve Watkins is an Army veteran from Kansas. Uh, Oh yeah, there we go. So uh, uh, when I say Mike Sherrill, I actually mean Mikey Sherrill. Her name is Michelle Mikey Sherrill, Navy veteran in New Jersey. Uh, She won that one. Mike Gallagher, Marine Corps veteran in Wisconsin wins. Max Rose, he's actually joined us and talked to Connecting Vets before, though not on this program. Max is a National Guard soldier up in New York who actually did his uh his, his required time his month in the National Guard while he was campaigning took a month off of campaigning to do his uh his National Guard duties he pulled off the win up there Michael Waltz green beret from Florida he takes the win Jimmy Panetta navy veteran in California actually Michael Waltz I thought I saw Michael Waltz didn't win is my is my sheet coming up wrong here let's double check on him cuz something tells me that one might have gotten moved to the wrong place but anyway uh yeah i'd have to double check on that but jimmy panetta navy veteran in california jim baird army veteran uh, vietnam veteran in indiana taking re-election there greg stube florida army veteran adam kinzinger united states air force veteran in illinois and elaine loria from virginia who is a navy veteran as well now Moving on to those who were not so lucky and did not get their wins. Of course, we told you about Ken Harbaugh, former guest of the show, not quite able to pull it off out there in Ohio. Neither was uh, Amy McGrath. She's the Marine Corps fighter pilot from Downing, Kentucky. A lot of press on her when she declared that she was running. A very interesting story, a fascinating person. I know people who know her, and they say she was a fantastic Marine, and they felt that she would have been a fantastic member of Congress. Unfortunately for her, that's not going to happen this time. Dan DeBono from New York not getting in. M.J. Hagar in Texas, not getting in. John James, who was running up there in Michigan, had support from the president, Kid Rock, a whole bunch of other people, not quite able to pull it off up there in Michigan. Steve Ferrara from Arizona, not able to get elected. Steve Toft, Steve Russell, not a good day for Steve's looking to get elected yesterday. Steve Toft in Wisconsin, Steve Russell, Army veteran in Oklahoma. Richard Ojeda, retired Army officer from West Virginia, did not get elected. Just Colvin in Maryland. Uh, We've also got Jeff Dove, an Army veteran from Virginia. Gil Cisneros, Navy veteran from California. George Scott, Pennsylvania Army vet. And Eddie Edwards, a Navy veteran from New Hampshire. And finally on my list here, Gina Ortiz-Jones from Texas, United States Air Force. Very close election for her there, but she did not pull that off. Now that we know there are going to be quite a few veterans getting in, and that was just a segment of them. Again, we had almost 200 running for office, so it's a little bit difficult. I don't want to read off, you know, 170 or whatever election results. We don't want to do that. This was already a long list, and that was uh, just a small segment of them. Those veterans who are going to be heading into Congress or returning to Congress, when you're talking about Connor Lamb, Van Taylor, uh, Mikey Sherrill, Mike Gallagher, Max Rose, now we have to see what they're going to do, what they're going to do with it. Because Each veteran that I spoke to there, as well as other politicians that I've spoken to about veterans who might get elected to the Senate or Congress, they said that they believe veterans can bring a greater level, let's say, of civility to national politics. Is that going to happen? I don't know. I really don't. We're in a position right now where the two political parties are at each other's throats pretty much constantly. Uh, It seems that... Almost every decision that's made is made based along party lines and not based along uh, what people actually think or whether something's a good idea or not. At least that's my perspective on it. With one exception, veterans' issues seem to be predominantly something that the two parties are able to agree upon to a greater extent than just about anything else. Just about. Not, not, Not everything else, but just about anything else. There have been some exceptions. Of course, we had uh, a political move where people who were running for office in the House decided they did not want to put through um, the the Mission Act, essentially, what would go on to become the Mission Act. They took that out of uh, a spending bill basically so that they could say that they had gone against President Trump. So, you know, politics sneaks its its way into veteran stuff. Uh, occasionally, but generally they have been pretty good in Congress about getting veterans issues through and doing it in a bipartisan and, well, at least for Washington, D.C., rather speedy manner. We do have a lot of things that don't move very quickly when we talk about things like berm pits when we talk about things like Agent Orange coverage for Blue Water Navy veterans from Vietnam. With this influx of veterans into Congress, maybe we'll actually see some movement on those things. If we have more people who fully understand the issues at hand, it seems logical to me that they would be able to explain to their fellow members of Congress why these things are important. And we've talked to several of them. Again, I think five out of the six uh, that we talked to that are on the list uh, here. One, and they said that, you know, those are important things to them. And they're important things to the veteran community. We've got the VSOs going hard about burn pits and about the Agent Orange Blue Water Navy thing. Uh, There are... A lot of things meeting up here that I think could work out very well for veterans when it comes to the VA, when it comes to veterans benefits, when it comes to the active duty military. We'll see about that. There are a lot of people saying, you know, the Democrats taking the House might mean cuts in spending for the military, might mean a lot of things. Don't know. Don't know exactly what it's going to mean, how it's all going to play out. But I am hopeful that we're going to see some movement on some issues that have kind of stalled. Some veteran issues that have support, but maybe don't have some of those people pushing at it that it now will. These new people that are elected into Congress. People like Dan Crenshaw, Chrissy Houlihan, Connor Lamb. I mean, we've got so many that are either retaining office or going into office that can make a difference. Now it's on them to do so. Then, if they want to be reelected in a couple of years, they'd better do so. And those veterans who ran, a lot of them made a lot of promises to veterans on both sides of the aisle, and I truly hope that they're able to live up to those promises because if they don't, well, good luck in 2020. We'll see what happens there. All right, taking a look around the rest of the news because, yes, while the election was the biggest news yesterday, there was also other stuff going on, including a report from Wallet Hub. And this actually came out a few days ago, but I didn't hear about it until uh, today. So this came out on Monday, it looks like. And this Wallet Hub study is on the best and worst cities for veterans to live in. Good morning, Pete. How are you doing today? Uh, We have... A list of cities where the worst one on the list did not surprise me. So this is a 100 cities, basically the 100 largest cities in the country, it seems, is what they went after. The number one city for veterans to live in, Austin, Texas. That doesn't surprise me too much. Austin is a place that I've never been to, but I've heard such great things from just about everybody who has been there. And I'm not just talking about the Texans. Because if you find a Texan who's willing to crap on uh, any part of Texas, then you have to question if they're actually a Texan. Because Texans love everything about Texas. But those people from outside of Texas who have been to Austin that I know, I've got a friend who goes there a couple times a year because he loves it so much. Live music capital of the world. Now, the reason that it came in first place, it actually didn't rank in first place in any of the major categories that WalletHub had up there. It was 20th in health rank, 5th in quality of life, 17th in economy, ninth in jobs. None of those. All that close to number one. Only two in the top ten and one in the top five, quality of life being that one at number five. But overall, they were just higher in general. That's how these studies work, of course. I mean, if you look at number two, sticking down there in the, uh, well, this is a little bit more Southwest, I guess. Scottsdale, Arizona, jobs ranked eighth. That's a little bit better than Austin. Economy ranked 19th. That's a little bit worse than Austin. Quality of life rank, Scottsdale, Arizona was second overall. But then when you go to the health rank, 56th. So it seems that each of the cities that had really good things going for them, then all had one thing at least that kind of threw them off. The most interesting one in the top 10 on this list, in my mind, is Irvine, California. And the reason Irvine, California is the most interesting one on the Best Cities for Veterans to Live list, it's number one in jobs rank, number one in health rank. So you would think, well, how are they all the way down at number eight? How are they not up at number one, number two, number three? Well, it's because they came in 82nd for economy out of 100, 36th in quality of life rank. So you'll have a job, you'll be healthy, you just won't enjoy your life, and that job uh, probably won't pay you as much as you would like it to. So that explains that one. Rounding out the top five behind Austin, Texas, and Scottsdale, Arizona, Colorado Springs, Colorado, home of the Air Force Academy, which was number one for quality of life. Their worst segment was the health rank, where they were 46th. Raleigh, North Carolina, coming in at number four of the best cities for veterans to live, fourth in jobs and economy. Their big drop off came in health, where they were 68th. And then number five is Gilbert, Arizona. They're number five in economy, number 10 in quality of life. And then when you look at health, all the way down in 56th place, which apparently puts them in a tie with Scottsdale, Arizona which was number two on the list. So it's an interesting list. And as you go through there, you'll see there are several military towns that made the list as well. Chesapeake, Virginia, specifically. That one's uh, number three in economy, but then a big drop off with health and a big drop off with jobs. Pretty good with uh, economy, or sorry, not economy, quality of life, at 16th. Fort Worth, Texas, also making it up there. They were first in economy, but a lot lower in everything else, including 71st in jobs rank. So good economy, but not that great place to find a job. Also not the best quality of life, not the best health, although for health at least they were top 20. San Diego, I thought would end up higher on this list than they did. They're 19th. They're number four in quality of life, which again, surprising to me. It's always beautiful out there. It's sunny. Quality of life always seems pretty good, although they do have a lot of issues with homelessness and things like that. So fourth in quality of life and then significantly lower in everything else, especially economy, where San Diego came in as 74th. It's an expensive place to live without a doubt. Jacksonville, Florida, as Mr. Pete Burden says hello from down in Jacksonville, came in 22nd on the list. So, you know, top 25 out of the 100 best cities for veterans to live in. They're number one, 13th in health rank. Really? (laughs) I lived in Jacksonville for three years. I would find it shocking that they are 13th in health. Uh, And then their worst one, 73rd in jobs rank. So, again, a place where there's some good things going on, but finding work, not that easy. All right, so we've talked about the top 25. Now let's look at the bottom, oh, 10 or 11 or so. What would you guess is the worst city for a veteran to live in? What do you say, New York City? Because it's so expensive and oftentimes when people get out of the military, they're not making, you know, six figures right off the bat unless maybe there's some retired colonel general or whatever's going on there. Well, you'd be wrong. New York actually just avoiding the bottom 10 at 89th. Uh, the reasons for them being so low, they were eighty sixth 86th, uh, 86th in quality of life and 87th in economy yeesh there you go well karina there you go you know what you know what you're talking about too being down there in jacksonville a couple cities in the northeast uh bringing up the the rear in the top in the bottom 10 jersey city new jersey ranked 90th philadelphia ranked 91st with no ranking for philadelphia higher than 72nd on the list and jersey city only coming in uh close to the middle of the board when it comes to health everything else being pretty low there Cleveland, Ohio coming in at 92nd, Baton Rouge, Louisiana coming in at 93rd, San Bernardino, Purdue, there you go, 94th, Toledo, Ohio, so you got two Ohio cities on this list coming in at 95th, the city that I live closest to, Baltimore, Maryland, 96th, and they actually came in at 99th for quality of life. I don't know. I find some fun things to do in in Baltimore. We enjoy the city when we go in there. Uh, Certain parts of it, you certainly don't want to hang out in too much, but eh, it is what it is. Fresno, California, 97th. 98th is Memphis, Tennessee. 99th is Newark, New Jersey. So you actually have Jersey City and Newark, both in the bottom 10 there from New Jersey. Newark ranked worst in quality of life and worst in jobs. 100th on the list. But they still didn't take the win, and that's because the city that came in 100th place of the top 100 cities for veterans to live and is actually listed as the worst big city for veterans to live in, Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, we've got a lot of problems up there, and on this list, they didn't rank higher than 94th out of 100 in any of the categories. They were 94th in health, 95th in economy, 95th in jobs, and 98th in quality of life. You're telling me there's a better quality of life in Detroit, Michigan than there is in Baltimore, Maryland? I don't know. I think I find that a little bit hard to believe. But they have uh, uh, great things on this WalletHub study, though, that I would encourage you to check out. If you just put in best cities for veterans or worst cities for veterans, they have uh, broken down by, like, the highest percentage of military skill-related jobs. So jobs that would seem to attract people who have a military background – Fremont, California, Madison, Wisconsin, Chesapeake, Virginia, Irvine, California, and Seattle, Washington. And then the worst cities in that category, Irving, Texas, Hialeah, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, Miami, Florida, and North Las Vegas, Nevada. So what I'm learning from that, don't go to South Florida or the Vegas area if you are a veteran looking for work. Lowest veteran unemployment rate, Plano, Texas took that. Highest, Chula Vista, California. Hmm. Here's some interesting news. I guess the Marine Corps has put uh, an investigation into effect into that latest sky penis over the Salton Sea out there in California. Do we really need an investigation? That's the question I have. What are they investigating? Was it a penis? Well, it certainly looked like it. I mean, you can look at the GPS and it's, it's a little bit more anatomically correct than the previous sky penises appeared to be as well. Um, you know, it's an investigation, of course. Uh, in in all seriousness, for them to find out why the Marine Corps pilots in this uh, training aircraft decided that this was a good idea to do, uh, I think I can save them a lot of time and money and tell them uh, those Marines thought this would be funny, and you know what? It's pretty funny again this one and you can go to uh our story on it on connectingbets.com and you can actually see the gps map that was originally posted and this was uh, again very anatomically correct uh sky design of male genitalia but again the investigation i was it a sky penis yep why'd you do it thought it was funny there you go investigation over we know the military. Oh, they're going to bring in crack sky penis investigators from around the country—the top sky penis investigators the military and civilian community have to offer will be coming into to Miramar to investigate this latest edition of uh, you know military members being military members and laughing at its uh, stupid stuff. Also, a big story, and this one's a lot more serious. That's uh, broken over the last uh, day or so. Our friend Jeff Zuzulowitz over at Navy Times having uh, uh, really gotten the lead on this. The Ronald Reagan, United States aircraft carrier, that's a nuke that you got over there. LSD probe, 14 sailors from the nuclear department on board USS Ronald Reagan have been charged at various levels with either using, possessing, or distributing LSD. Two sailors already heading to court-martial for using, possessing, and distributing the drug, while three are waiting to see whether they'll be charged under court-martial as well. Another 10 sailors with the ship were administratively disciplined on LSD-related chargers, and a 15th uh, sailor was also disciplined. However, he's not from the nuclear division, so uh, he's not as big news, I guess, because really, if you've got someone on a hallucinogen operating a nuclear reactor— that's not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. And this comes from a nuclear department with more than 400 personnel forward deployed to Japan. Now, I don't know a lot about LSD. I know very little about it other than what, uh, you know, the movies and all the film strips they showed us in school taught me basically that it's just evil. It's essentially the devil, right? I do know that Japan has some very stringent drug laws, and it's very hard to get things into Japan that they don't want there. So where did this LSD come from? Did somebody actually smuggle it in? I mean, it's certainly possible to do that. Do they create it themselves over there? Uh, I don't know. I do know that those 15 sailors are in some hot, hot water, which nuclear engineers should know quite a bit about. (laughs) <laughs> you get it? Because nuclear power and it heats up the steam. Ah, whatever. All right. You're listening to Connecting Vets Daily, brought to you by Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Our full show is still to come. We're going to have an interview with the Wounded Warrior Project and with Gordon Logan, Air Force veteran and founder of Sport Cuts. And of course, you'll be able to listen to that show here, but you can also download it later. If you're not going to be able to listen to the whole program, you will be able to go to the podcast section of ConnectingBets.com and find it there. And also follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingBets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll be back with the Wounded Warrior Project right after this. Welcome back to Connecting Vets Daily from Entricom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do. And I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team is either a veteran themselves or someone very closely related to the veteran community. When I say closely related, I mean the spouse of an active duty military member or a military brat. So we have a unique insight into what you, we as veterans, go through when we take off the uniform that last time. There are a lot of struggles. There are a lot of obstacles. There are a lot of difficulties, and our team works each and every day to make it just a little bit easier for you to not just live, but thrive after leaving the United States military. Best way to be kept abreast of what we're doing? Follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guests are going to talk to us about a program that over the last, well, several years has become Bigger and bigger and is now one of the leaders in the veteran service organization community. Joining us for the first time on the show in what's going to become a weekly segment, the Wounded Warrior Project. And today we're featuring their Senior VP of Government and Community Relations, Renee Bardorf, as well as the Director of Communications and Government Relations, some guy named Joe Plensler, who I think I might have come across once or twice before. Renee, good morning. How are you today?
0: Good morning. Very nice. Thank you for having us here.
2: And Joe, welcome. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing. It's good to have you in studio again. Yeah, it's great to be back after a little hiatus. Sorry, the Connecting Vets Daily. See, a lot of things have changed since last we spoke, Joe, and one of those is you have joined the team at Wounded Warrior Project and... I think the first question that I have to ask of the two of you, for the audience members out there who I know have seen the Wounded Warrior Project logo, I know they've heard the name before, but they might not know exactly what it is that Wounded Warrior Project does and is all about. So, Renee, let me ask you, what is it that the Wounded Warrior Project does and is all about?
0: Well, first of all, it's all about honoring and empowering this generation of wounded warriors. But not just wounded warriors injured ill wounded warriors and their families Uh, so we are out there providing programs and services to to do just that to provide them with opportunities as you said in your entry um, opportunities to succeed and have this generation of warriors be the most successful transition generation of warriors that we've ever seen
2: so the wounded warrior project is working to help veterans essentially and working to help our wounded warriors specifically and there are quite a few programs and services that your organization provides one of those and i think this might end up being the biggest when it comes to finding that way through life after the military is your connection programs through alumni and resources what can you tell us about what you're doing to connect those veterans and those wounded warriors to others who have been in the same places they were and might be able to help them find their path
0: well, uh, we have over a dozen um, programs that assist our wounded warriors and their families. And we partner with over 38 other organizations that provide support and programs for our for our warriors. But more specifically, on the connection end, uh, we do, as you mentioned, have an alumni program. We have over almost 122,000 wounded, ill, and injured warriors who are alumni of Wounded Warrior Project. And what we have found is that warriors find, especially after they've transitioned, um, and we have well over a thousand who are still joining the ranks of Wounded Warrior Project every month, that what they find when they return back home after they've transitioned, after successful service in our military, is that they yearn for connection. They yearn to do something bigger than themselves like they did in the military, and they yearn to be around other warriors that have served in the same conflicts that they've served in. And we provide opportunities for them to come together and do that, whether it be going to a baseball game or going on a retreat and connecting with other warriors. And when they do that, they make friends um, they c- reconnect in their community, but they also are we're able to identify if they're at risk or if they're having issues with transition. And then we help them do their benefits claims. We help get them connected and registered with the VA, get them a job, help them um, be successful um, and give them a hand up, not a handout, but a hand up in helping them reintegrate back into communities who really want to welcome them
2: home. Why do you think it is that so many veterans who, as you said, yearn for that connection, don't go after it? Don't reach out for it. I mean, it took me several years before I joined a veteran service organization, and it was one of the best things that I did at that point in my life. I mean, it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. It was a sense of camaraderie. It was a great place to be able to go. Why do you think it is that so many of us who really want that connection aren't going after it when we're, as military veterans, people that are known for kind of going after what we need to do and accomplishing the mission, but we're kind of reticent to do that in this case?
0: Yeah, well, I think it's not so much that um, they don't don't want to. It's just when you transition from one... Uh, phase in your life to another phase in your life, you're ready to sort of pack that box up and to move on. And it isn't until you reflect a little bit later on what it was that you did and what you accomplished that you realize you didn't do it alone. You did it with a group of other people that you really have this fraternal connection with that you don't have with other people in your community. So you're busy when you first transition, you're looking for a job, you're reconnecting with your family, you're doing great things. And then at some point you sit back and, and a lot of warriors tell us that they sit back and they realize, you know, I really need to reconnect with those who I served with. And at that point, and it may be months or it may be like in your case, years, they go back and they reach out to an organization like Wounded Warrior Project or some of the other veteran service organizations, and they start working. Um, they start working out. They start going to events, and what many of them tell us is they want opportunities to also serve. So to do something more, what they got and what fed their souls as service members and women um, is that. They were doing something bigger than themselves. They were giving back to society. And so maybe in the first phases of their transition, it was all about me, me, me. I got to get a job. I need a home. I need to focus on my kids. But at some point, they self-reflect again and they say, I need to give back again. And the way to do that is to connect with organizations like Wounded Warrior Project and those that we partner with.
2: We're speaking with Renee Bardorf. She is Senior Vice President of Government and Community Relations for the Wounded Warrior Project, as well as Joe Plensler, Director of Communications and Government Relations for Wounded Warrior Project. When it comes to thriving post service, a couple of big things are physical wellness, you know, staying in shape, being active, getting out and doing things, as well as perhaps the biggest one mental health and wellness. What is Wounded Warrior Project doing to address those two uh, combined issues of physical and mental health and wellness?
0: Well, we have specifically a couple. We have an entire what we call mind pillar. And we have everything from a talk program where we have peer-to-peer support where warriors call in and talk with other warriors about their experiences. We have a combat stress program where we have retreats for warriors who go out for a weekend and do sort of like an... um, uh, a a retreat where you do physical activity, and then we also have, for those who need it most, um, a two-week intensive program where we've partnered with academic medical centers around the country, really to the tune of about $20 million investment a year for them to go on two-week intensive mental health programs. What we find in our Warrior Survey, which we've been doing for over a decade now, is that... Um, There are 77% of our warriors who have transitioned that tell us that they have mental health needs um, and needs for treatment and uh, have sustained the hidden injuries of war. But what we also know, and sadly, is that many of our warriors are in the best shape of their life while they're in service. But 87% of those 122,000 that are registered with Wounded Warrior Project are either overweight or obese after their service. So when they get back to their communities, um, their activity, they're um, more sedentary. They're not getting out there. They're not working out. And so we have a physical health and wellness program that really serves to reconnect them, but to also give them healthy living habits and then reconnect them with mental health services as well so that it can be a more holistic approach to living a happy, healthy lifestyle.
2: Those are important things. I can speak to that as uh, an overweight veteran myself. I have that veteran. <laughs> for enhan- it every day. <laughs> I have the veteran enhancement package, a beard, a gut and a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I could do without the gut, though, and uh, just have two thirds of that package. But very important things. And there's there's so much going on at Wounded Warrior Project. Let me ask one of the newest members of your team, Mr. Joe Plensler, friend of Connecting Vets. He's, uh, he's been coming over here and talking to us about veterans' issues for a long time. Joe, when you started working at Wounded Warrior Project, what made the biggest impression on you as far as what the mission and what the uh, the programs that are offered are?
1: Yeah, I think two things. I think the first thing that really struck me was the quality of the people. Um, Wounded Warrior Project is really, uh, they take a lot of time to hire to the right cultural fit. And so, you know, these are they want essentially people who want to put others first, put veterans first, and, and serve a, a higher mission. And the second thing that really struck me is the amount of programs that go on every day all around the country, and it's absolutely staggering. I mean, you know, sitting even within the uh, VSO space, you know, for the past two years, I had no idea the amount of stuff that took place every day within Window Warrior Project. I mean, it is, a, it is a massive undertaking. And so we'll bring on Jen Silva, who's our you know, chief programs officer come by in about a couple of weeks to go through that whole litany of, of programs that we have. But um, it, it, is, it is pretty impressive once you look under the hood and see what's going on.
2: And along with some of these kind of outside the box-ish groundbreaking programs that you have, the Wounded Warrior Project offers some of those more traditional services that one might expect from the VSOs that have been around for a hundred years or more, including things like uh, benefit service. So, what does Wounded Warriors uh, Project provide, and who is eligible to take part in, uh, you know, finding out about their benefits and things like that?
0: Well, of course, all of our wounded warriors and their families, um, and you don't have to have been a Purple Heart recipient. We all know, as part of the veteran community. A wounded warrior is um, typically referred to a a Purple Heart recipient, but that's not the only population that we're serving. If you have had trouble reintegrating back into your community as a result of just your service in general, you're an injured, ill um, warrior or veteran of the post 9-11 generation, then we will provide you assistance. Uh, We do have benefits um, claims services like much of the traditional VSOs do, and we also partner with them. So in any given year, um, and in fact, this last year, we had over $140 million worth of um, benefits claims funding that went back to Warriors because of the work that we're doing in the benefits claims and making sure that they're registered at the VA, that they're taking advantage of the health care benefits that they have earned at the VA, and that we're reconnecting them back to that. We have a wonderful partnership um, together with the VFW to provide benefits claim services right on military installations. So as warriors are tr- transitioning out, they don't have to wait until they're long past their uh, time in service to submit their benefits claims. And of course, we really encourage them to do that as soon as possible so that they're taking care of their benefits and registering for their VA health benefits right away.
1: And if I could say something on that real quick, I participated in that program in the VFW and went through one of their service officers to file my initial VA claim. And I urge all veterans to do the same because it took a huge rock out of my pack during transition and they were masterful at filing that claim.
2: Yeah, they are fantastic. It's at no cost. It's open to all veterans. I mean, it's really just something that everybody uh, should at least be aware of, even if they uh, decide not to uh, go through uh, like the VFW. And let me ask you about that. As the Wounded Warrior Project is kind of the new kid on the block, or one of the new kids on the block, I should say, you're not the only newer VSO. Uh, what has that relationship been like with those those I guess you could say more senior uh, organizations <laughs> like the VFW who you've partnered shit who you've partnered with? Uh, have they all been welcoming to Wounded Warrior Project over the years? And it's been in existence.
0: Well, you know, it was really um, some it was individuals who were tied into the traditional VSO, the Big Six, or is what we call them. Um, who really started Wounded Warrior Project. There were folks from uh, DAV and PVA and others who were the founding members of the Wounded Warrior Project. And so we have long um, ties to the traditional VSOs. And quite frankly, um, they are the ones who do the majority of benefits claims. We are, as you said, new kids on the block, and I think we're doing a fantastic job on um, initial claims and also appeals on the benefits claims side. Um, But without them and us, um, we would never be able to move forward um, policy and legislative advances for our warriors without us being a united front, both the post 9-11 generation and the pre 9-11 generation. And quite frankly, um, even though our mission set is to serve those who have served after 9-11, the work that we do in the policy and legislative space, which is really where the big six have been most effective We all work together to create benefits and um, to improve the lives of all veterans of every generation, um, which is what we really did together with the Mission Act and expanding the caregiver benefits to the generations prior to 9-11.
2: That's one of those things I think a lot of people don't realize about the VSOs in general and certainly about Wounded Warrior Project, how active they are in legislation on Capitol Hill. (laughs) The primary function of the the Big Six VSO's D.C. offices, whether those are their national headquarters or not, is to interact with those lawmakers and make sure that veterans are spoken for and taken care of to the best of their ability through legislation. Uh, how has that process been uh, through your experience? I mean, dealing with the government, who mm-hmm. it seems realizes when there are issues, but even when they realize on something like, oh, I don't know, let's say Agent Orange benefits for Blue Water Navy sailors from Vietnam, they know there's an issue there, it seems very clear, but they're still dragging their feet on it. They're doing the same thing with burn pits. What is the relationship between the VSOs and the government? Is it is it adversarial? Is it teamwork? I mean, how, how does it work?
0: You know, and um, in my experience, um, it's very collaborative, more than people would realize, you um, we were engaged, Wounded Warrior Project was engaged in over uh, 70 bills just this year alone. And frankly, there isn't a um, legislative issue or a policy issue that we, that we do alone. Um, and in today's environment, it really is just the veterans lobby that is seeing the most success with both this administration and the Congress. Um, of course, there's loggerheads. Of course, there are challenges Um, But because everyone um, supports veterans, it's much easier for our lobby to Mm -hmm. advance the mission to care for our veterans and their families than almost any other issue in Washington, D.C. But with that said, it does require our entire community to come together and do it together. When there's divisions within the community or amongst generations, it's very, very difficult to pass a piece of legislation or to change a policy inside the executive branch, um, unless you have a united front. We are part of the military coalition that has over 30 organizations that work together. There are MSOs and VSOs that all work together to move forward uh, policy issues. We sit on a um, round table with the Secretary of Defense. We also sit on a round table with the Secretary of the VA. So we do have contact at the very highest levels Inside the executive branch. And um, I have found that they are, while there are differences in how to get things done sometimes or how quickly to move something through, we are a team in and outside of government to ensure that we have successful futures for our veterans and their families.
2: We're speaking with Renee Bardorf, she is a Senior VP of Government and Community Relations for the Wounded Warrior Project, and also Joe Plensler, Director of Communications and Government Relations for Wounded Warrior Project as well. One of the interesting things that I learned about the Wounded Warrior Project is uh, the efforts that you make in the community, particularly with smaller localized VSOs and military service organizations out there. Why is that important to Wounded Warrior Project when it seems uh, a lot of organizations, particularly in a day and age where there are fewer veterans each and every day as the World War II and Korea generations leave us, they're kind of focused internally more than externally. Why is Wounded Warrior Project so focused on helping out the little guys out there?
0: Well, first of all, um, you know, the Wounded Warrior Project has been really blessed um, with support from generous Americans. We have over six million donors who have donated to Wounded Warrior Project and supported our causes and our, and our warriors. We have over three and a half million followers on social media. So um, it isn't just veterans who care about what we're doing, Americans care about what we're doing, and Americans know that it is their moral responsibility to take care of our warriors and their families who have given so much on their behalf, who have served so that their children have a choice to serve. We believe at Wounded Warrior Project that government can't do it alone. We also know that Wounded Warrior Project can't do it alone. We have a small cohort, quite honestly, in Wounded Warrior Project that we serve of post-911 generation. Warriors, um, that's over um, 3.9 post 11 post 9 11 warriors. But there's nearly two, 22 million veterans in the United States. Wounded Warrior Project cannot serve all their needs alone. Mm. Government cannot do it. So what we do do is we share some of our resources to fill gaps. This year alone, we had over 38 organizations that we invested more than thir- 13 million dollars in to fill gaps where either we don't provide services or to expand our reach where we know there's best practices in the community. So we work hand in hand with other organizations that are providing services for warriors and their families. I told you about the VFW, but I also have um, wonderful examples of National Military Family Association where Wounded Warrior Project is not focused as much on um, the children of warriors but we partner with organizations like NMFA and MSEC and TAPS and other organizations that do provide best-in-class services for children of our warriors, and we invest in them to do those those services. Um, So we we also encourage others in the community to work with one another um, so that we can take the donor dollars that people have trusted us with and use them in the most effective and efficient ways. And sometimes that means, while 90%, more than 95 actually, percent of what we spend is on direct services, 5% of what we spend is on other programs outside of Wounded Warrior Project that are doing amazing work. Um, And so we're really proud of those partners that we have and proud of their work that we do together with them.
2: There's a lot of good stuff going on over there, Joe. Yeah, it almost
1: reminds me, you know, Renee and I were talking on the way over. You know, we saw this uh, post-World War I poster, and it had, like, a, a sailor, a soldier, and a Marine, you know, with all their Springfield o stacked stacked, their uniforms <laughs> on the ground behind them, and they're all in civilian gear walking forward. And the, the, the gist of the poster is it's stronger when we stick together. And th- that's something that we also believe about the, the larger veteran and, and military support organization community is that, you know, we could, we could all try to do things on our own. But when we collaborate, you know, we can really bring the strengths of each organization together because not all of us are great at any one thing, you know, not great at everything at, at the same time. But, you know, when we when we team up, it's... Uh, it's
0: well, you know. it's, um, it's not unlike... Y- you're a sailor. Yep. So... Um, <laughs> so there's lots of competition amongst the service branches right so of course you think that the other three the
2: navy is pretty much head and shoulders above everybody else but then the air force army and marine corps they they battle it out between themselves for second place
0: (laughs) right well (laughs) and the marines would um surely laugh as joe would as a former marine he would
1: would scoff first and then then yes then laugh and then probably
2: point and And then then they'd look at their Uh, id card and read that whole department of the navy thing (laughs) and realize oh man so it's very
0: similar quite honestly um because the truth is veteran service organizations and military service organizations, anyone in the middle of that community, um, we're a family. And, um, in the end, so we have our, we compete with one another for donor dollars. We compete in some of our programming. Um, but in the end, we're a family of people who know something different than most Americans. And we know what it's like to put our family out there and to, um, potentially sacrifice everything, including our lives, um, and that in, in letting our families um, go about the op tempo that we have over the last couple decades. Um, and as such, we are a family that comes together, and it's not unlike the service branches. We, we laugh and we compete, um, but in the end, we all come together and we do what we think is best for our veterans and their families, and for our service members who are still today serving in harm's way on our behalf. Um, and it's something that separates us really from anyone else in our nation. Um, so it's important that we come together and that we do this work um, all arm in arm.
1: And I think an important distinction the way we're organized, I mean, as opposed to the VSOs, which are member-based, you know, we're, we're, we're a hybrid, but first and foremost, we're a direct service charity. You know, we provide right. services to veterans. We're also part foundation and we're also an advocacy organization. So we do this all this free for the wounded warriors that we serve, so there there are no dues. We don't call them members because we don't ask anything of them. We you know provide this all free, and the reason we call them alumni is because they have this shared experience base, you know. So they're they're, they're a product of of uh, their military experience and alumni of that.
2: Absolutely. Well, it's been a busy 15 years so far for Wounded Warrior Project, and there are more busy days ahead, including Wednesdays, where they'll be joining us right here on Connecting Vets Daily from here on out. I want to thank Renee Bardorf and Joe Plensler for coming in and speaking to us. If people want to find out more about Wounded Warrior Project, if they want to get involved in the Wounded Warrior Project, where can they go to find out more about the organization?
0: Well, thank goodness our logo is um, <laughs> very recognizable. <laughs> um, but I will, let me say something about our logo. You know, the logo is a, is a service member carrying another service member. Um, and really our goal at Wounded Warrior Project is to have a warrior who goes from being the warrior who's being carried to the one who is carrying another. Um, and that's really what success means to us. Um, but you can go anywhere you see the logo. And, of course, you can go to WoundedWarriorProject.org and find out more about how to give, how to support, how to be a part of what we're doing, and most importantly, how to get assistance if you need it.
2: And yeah, slash donate is always a good page. <laughs> that is a good one to go to. Well, thank you so much to the two of, uh, uh, two of you for joining us here on Connecting Vets Daily. Thanks, sir. Welcome back to Connecting Vets Daily, brought to you by Intercom's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do, and I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform. Just as importantly, you know what it's like to have taken it off that last time. We know there can be difficulties as you transition from the military to the civilian worlds, and that those difficulties may never go away if you don't deal with them properly. That's why we are putting information out every day to help you not just survive, but to thrive after leaving the military. And we're doing it all on ConnectingVets.com. And then, of course, on social media, we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. When you talk about veterans who are thriving, you talk about those who've gone into business for themselves, maybe found a great job someplace. Our next guest has done both. He is a veteran of the United States Air Force. He's also the founder and CEO of Sport Clips Haircuts, Mr. Gordon Logan. Gordon, good morning. How are you today?
3: I'm fine, Eric. It's good to join you.
2: Well, it's absolutely our pleasure, and we want to thank you for speaking with us. As I mentioned, you served in the United States Air Force uh, a little while ago, I think. Gordon, can you tell us just a little bit about that time in your life, You know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were serving in the Air Force?
3: Be happy to. I grew up in a little small town, Sumter, South Carolina, and and, uh, after I graduated from college, I uh, worked as an engineer for a while, and um, I had an occupational deferment, actually, uh, working in the defense industry, and felt kind of guilty about having a deferment while my friends were getting drafted or or going into the military, so... um, I went down and talked to my Air Force recruiter, and and, um, next thing you know, I was uh, signed up for the Air Force and went through officer's training school down at Lackland Air Force Base and and, um, went through pilot training down at Moody Air Force Base down in uh, Valdosta, Georgia. Uh, After graduating from pilot training, I um, went through C-130 training and flew with C-130s active duty um, all over the world, really. Uh, until 1974, and then I, when I got out of active duty, I flew in reserves for two years while I went to grad school uh, in Philadelphia. So it was a, a great experience, and it's uh, one of the uh, most uh, meaningful parts of uh, my life, really.
2: When you think back to that time when you finally left after serving on active duty and then in the reserves as a C-130 pilot, what do you remember most about that, that period of time in your life? What's the What's the strongest memory from back then?
3: You know, the military gives you a lot of responsibility at a very young age. And I really did a lot of growing up uh, while I was in the military and, and learned a lot about leadership and building teams and uh, working together to forge uh, words of common goals and mission accomplishment and, and just uh, making sure that everybody covered everybody else's back. Um, and, and no matter what branch of the military you're in, you work as a team, and then you have to be able to rely on one another to uh, accomplish the mission. Uh, that that was really a, a learning experience for me, and I, th- I think it really served, has served me well in my life, is that ability to work with people from all different kinds of backgrounds and and meld them into a team that is effective in getting the job done.
2: Of course, you served in an era, era when we're talking about the late sixties and early seventies, where, uh, people's, the public's opinion of the military, the public's opinion of the Vietnam war of so much that was going on back then. It's a lot different than what veterans, uh, receive from the public today. Did that ever have any effect on you? Or was that something that you personally experienced?
3: I did not really. Uh, I um, was stationed out in West Texas, which was very military-friendly, in Abilene, uh, and um, I even uh, traveled up to the Northeast and visited friends up in Boston wearing my uniform and never had any uh, negative uh, feedback. Um, I think a lot of it came from when the troops came back um, and, and landed in San Francisco area. A lot of the um, anti-war activists gave them a hard time back there. Personally, I, did, I really didn't ex- experience that.
2: Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad that you didn't, of course, because, uh, you know, everyone who served in the military in every era is deserving of at least uh, that amount of respect where they don't have to go through something like that. But when you reflect on your time in the military and now that you're, you know, several years removed from the last time that you uh, were were serving in the Air Force, we're coming up on Veterans Day. How do you view the Veterans Day holiday personally and how do you like to spend Veterans Day each year? Do you do something different?
3: Well, I think it's, uh, I'm really happy we have uh, not only Veterans Day, but Memorial Day to remember those who who gave their lives for for our country, but to remember all the veterans who sacrificed. I mean, everybody who uh, is in the military has written a blank check to the government uh, for their life. I mean, willing to do whatever it takes to um, get the mission accomplished. So um, I just think it's the attention that Veterans Day gets today is, I think, a lot more than it has been in the past, as you mentioned. People appreciate the contributions that our veterans make, and um, so today I think it's even more important for us to celebrate that um, because such a small percentage of our population serves in the military today as opposed to 50 years ago uh, when almost everybody that was either in the military or had a brother or a sister or uh, father or uncle uh, who was in the military. So it's it's good to remind uh, everyone that uh, there's a relatively small number of people who are making uh, major sacrifices so that the rest of us can in, enjoy the, the good life that we do. So. Firstly, uh, I always go out to, uh, we have a, a Memorial Day service um, uh, here in, in, in Georgetown out at um, the Sun City. Uh, Veterans Memorial Plaza and uh, always uh, like to uh, be there and participate in that. We have a uh, field of honor here that the Rotary Club is is, uh, sponsoring that we are a sponsor of also um, that uh, has uh, hundreds of flags out on the field um, that uh, recognize and and saying thank you to our veterans and and remembering the sacrifices they've made.
2: We're speaking with Gordon Logan. Gordon is a United States Air Force veteran, former C 130 pilot. He's also the founder and CEO of the Sport Clips Haircuts franchise. Gordon you are someone who years after leaving the military, I mean, you're decades past your service now, you've always maintained close ties to the veteran community. You're a member of the VFW. You've served on several organizations, boards when it comes to veterans issues and veterans charities and things like that. Why has that been something that's so important for you to continue doing all these years?
3: Well, like I said, I think it's really important for us to say thank you to the uh, those who have served, um, and especially the ones that are serving in the all-volunteer service, and, and um, we uh, want to do whatever we can to make their lives easier. Uh, we work with, we've been working with the BFW since 2007, I think it was, um, and for uh, several years we were the major sponsor of the free phone calls home for troops overseas and in hospitals. And as things changed and troops started coming home, we uh, shifted that emphasis to um, scholarships for veterans uh, who are separating from the military and, and transitioning to a civilian career. And so we've been working very closely with the VFW and the VFW Foundation to put that program in place and have raised uh, about $5 million over the last few years uh, for 1,100 scholarships um, for veterans making that transition. And right now we're in the final week of our. Fundraising for this year for the Help a Hero Scholarship Program. Our goal this year is a a million five, which will bring our total up to about six and a half million dollars, and enables us to uh, give even more scholarships to help help those veterans make that transition and have a successful uh, civilian career.
2: Gordon, uh, I actually contributed to that. I was at my local Sport Clips in Elk Ridge, Maryland, where Tracy, shout out to Tracy, gave me a great haircut, uh, made a donation to the Help a Hero Scholarship as well, and also noticed that the team there at that location, and from what I understand at Sport Clips locations – around the country, really get into the spirit of the Help a Hero Scholarship drive. They're not just taking donations. They had, you know, decorations on the wall for it. They did a chalkboard set up to let everybody know. This isn't just some passing thing for them. How does that feel for you as someone? Of course, you're the veteran. You're the one who worked with the VFW to, to come up with this idea and to create this. How does it feel to see your team, your Sport Clips team, uh, getting so into this and being so behind the Help a Hero push?
3: You know, Eric, that's one of the most rewarding part of it is that to see how uh, our our team members, um, most of them are in their twenties, really get behind this, and it's part of our culture, and they're just they're really passionate about it, and they engage our clients, and um, our product suppliers uh, help support the program as well. But it it is more than more than just raising the funds for scholarships. It's raising awareness, and and. Bringing attention to the good things that the VFW does for veterans. And, and it's, it, people, it's just very heartwarming to see how many people want to reach out and say thank you to the veterans who, who are making those sacrifices for us.
2: We're speaking with Gordon Logan, Air Force veteran, also founder and CEO of Sport Clips Haircuts. Gordon, you, of course, are a VFW member. I'm a VFW member myself. Full disclosure, joined Post 1469 in Long Island a few years back. There's been, though, uh, a drop in membership in the veteran service organizations like the VFW for my generation, the Afghanistan and Iraq-era veterans. Why do you think that is, and what do you think the veteran service organizations can do to try to remedy that from your perspective?
3: Well, I think that's an issue for organizations of all types, not just veterans organizations. I know that VFW is not alone in that. Um, You know, I'm an active car collector, and the car car clubs have the same problem, Uh, the Elks clubs and and Masonic Lodge, and and I think everybody has challenges with the younger generation that just don't join like people uh, of my generation and previous generations did, and part of it, I think, is that I grew up in a small town, and the social centers in town were either the Elks club, the country club, VFW, or the American Legion, and Those were the places where people uh, uh, built their social life around to a large extent, and today there's so many options and people don't feel the need to connect with those types of organizations in order to have a more active social life. There are restaurants and and entertainment and so forth and Facebook (laughs) ways to uh, connect with people. Uh, So I think this is endemic. It's, it's, uh, it's something that uh, throughout society is difficult to to uh, get people engaged, but I think it's really important for veterans to become engaged with the American Legion and the VFW and uh, DAV and other veterans organizations. That is, uh, they do a lot of good work, not only for active duty, but for for vet- veterans and their families and the scholarship programs we we have with the VFW, the unmet needs program that um, they have, that Burger King is a big supporter of, uh, those things uh, are filling the need out there, and, and, and American Legion and others have of type programs, and it's really important for the veterans to support that, and helping people through the VA is a huge part of the uh, work they do, and lobbying in Congress for, for Veterans Administration, uh, strengthening and, and straightening out some of the challenges we have there. Um, and other government programs. So the service organizations are are really providing a great service for our veterans, and and I would encourage everyone who's listening to uh, get engaged with the VFW the American Legion or one of the others um, to help them uh, show support and and help them continue to work for the good of, of all veterans.
2: Those are wise words, and they're coming from a man who's had a lot of success in his life and seems to think things through pretty well. Gordon, I know you've done a lot for the veteran community through Help a Hero, and as you mentioned with the uh, phone calls home earlier, uh, partnering with the VFW. Of course, I'm sure a lot of veterans come up to you and say, hey, I'm interested in starting my own business. I'm an entrepreneur as well. If someone comes up to you and says that, regardless of what sort of business they're interested in getting involved in, what do you, as a successful entrepreneur, think that that person should know first before they decide to go into business for themselves?
3: Well, everybody's not cut out for being in business for yourself. I mean, it's a lot of responsibility, and it's uh, it's, it's a difficult transition for some people to make if uh, they've been working in a in a big corporation where you have a marketing department and a finance department, human relations department, and so forth. Um, all of a sudden, you you are the department and and it's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, and um, it, it's, it's, it can be very rewarding, but can also be very frustrating um, if it's not approached properly. Uh, younger veterans, especially, I would encourage them to get some work experience, um, perhaps ed- complete their education or further their education and get some work experience uh, so that they can learn uh, more about business. Because uh, one of the things that we have with International Franchise Association, we have a vet brand, uh, program that encourages veterans to get into franchising, uh, provide, providing incentives and so forth. But the um, important thing is for them to um, understand all the, the the downside as well as the upside. Um, and uh, there was a fellow who had a department store here in Georgetown who said, you know, one of the nicest things about being in business for yourself is you get to choose which 80 hours a week you work. And and for most small businesses, that's pretty much where it is for the first few years. You have to be very focused and very dedicated and and willing to make some sacrifices to make things happen. Almost every successful business a uh, business person can tell you stories about how they were struggling to make payroll or figuring out which bills to pay and, and so forth when they first got started. So that's one of the advantages that franchising has. It is a, it's a business plan. It's a business model. that is structured, and veterans uh, fit into that um, uh, that structure very well because they're used to working uh, within uh, organizations and systems and, and executing uh, so that that's a, something that can be very helpful to a, a veteran who's thinking about going into business for themselves. I encourage them to check out the International Franchise Association, VetFriend, see the veterans-friendly franchises out there that can provide a lot of support to them that they would not have if they were uh, trying to do it alone.
2: Now, that reminds me of our talk with Daniel Sharp, who's a Marine who founded a popular Facebook group called Pop Smoke, but his day job, he's a franchise owner of Jade Dog Junk Removal, and, and that's kind of what you said is the same thing he said. The ability to go in there and kind of just turn the key and start right away was huge for him when he left the Marine Corps, and he kind of compared it to, you know, would you rather build a base from scratch while you're serving in the military, or would you rather show up someplace already established and then go about your duties there? So, uh, very interesting thing that I don't think enough veterans do uh, uh, consider when they're doing that. We're speaking with Gordon Logan, founder and CEO of Sport Clips Haircuts. He's also a veteran of the United States Air Force. Gordon, if there was a general message that you could give to your fellow vets out there on this Veterans Day weekend, what would that
3: message be? Well, first of all, thank you for your service. Um, Especially today when when it's a volunteer uh, program and I really appreciate the sacrifices they make. Fort Hood is just up the road here from us, and I'm on the USO advisory board there, and so I'm very much aware of the sacrifices that the soldiers and their families make for the multiple deployments they've had over the last 15 years. It's really tough on the families as well as the servicemen, and the veterans' families really need to more recognition and thank you for the support they provide and and they're um, having to suffer through those deployments and and for months or sometimes a year uh, at a time which they're left to to fend for themselves but the USO steps in and and really provides a lot of services to them to help them get through that period of time so I would say thank you to our veterans and thank you to their families.
2: Very good points as we finish up here with Gordon Logan, founder and CEO of Sport Clips. Gordon, I have one silly question that I have to ask you. As the founder and CEO of Sport Clips, are you a good barber yourself or was it just the idea for the business that you had?
3: (laughs) I am not a barber. I've never uh, cut hair and I've been in the salon industry for 40 years now and um, it's it's a great business. I've uh, really enjoyed it, Um, but... Quite frankly, I never dreamed that this was where I would be um, uh, as a career. But it's, it's interesting how life takes twists and turns, and oftentimes you wind up where you least expect it. But it's been a good a good run and a uh, great business. I really have enjoyed it. But I'll have to defer to my uh, stylist. Well, if you want a haircut, I'm, I'm not the man.
2: I was going to say, next time that you're in our neck of the woods, maybe you swing by and give me a trim, but uh, it sounds like that would probably be a poor decision on my part, huh?
3: I would not recommend that, Eric. (laughs)
2: And our thanks to Gordon Logan for joining us on the program. Even if he's not offering to give me that uh, that haircut, but his team at Sport Clips did a great job with mine. And you have between now and Veterans Day to go ahead and get a haircut at Sport Clips. And when you finish up, there's a little touch screen where you check out and everything. You'll be able to donate a couple bucks or as much as you want. It gives you the option of putting in uh, you know whatever amount you would like on there, and uh, it's really for a great cause. These scholarships. That the VFW has are fantastic. They help out a number of veterans and one of the things I like most about the VFW scholarship programs are that there's no limit to how many times you can apply for it. So this isn't like $5,000 that you get for one semester and then that's it. You're not eligible anymore. No, you can apply for every semester that you are in school. I mean, that's the kind of scholarship that really can be helpful to a veteran who's going to school on the GI Bill. For one thing, A lot of us go to school and, you know, we've got some credits that we get from the military and other things that might transfer over there. But you might end up spending a little bit more time there than you thought you had to because eventually it sometimes happens that the credit you thought you were going to get from the military, well, you're getting that credit, but it doesn't apply in this way that you need for this specific degree. So you're going to have to do an extra semester a semester that the GI Bill might not cover or a semester that might be uh, requiring some extra stuff that you need to pay extra for. You can keep applying each and every semester that you're in school to these VFW scholarships. And again, the money for that, a large portion of it coming from the Help a Hero Scholarship Drive with Sport Clips and the VFW partnering on that. Very smart guy. So when he gave you that advice there about looking into business and maybe considering franchising instead of starting your own startup, Might want to take that to heart. The Marine Corps might want to take to heart the, what am I going to say here, recommendations, the threats, the things that they're getting from both senators representing California because they are going after the Pentagon to improve housing conditions at Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton following a bombshell Reuters report describing mold, Rodent infestation, leaks, and other major housing issues at Camp Pendleton. You have families here. This is not just the Marines. Marines, they're like, oh, rats, good. That's dinner. You know, it's fantastic. But when you're talking about base housing, you're talking about families. You're talking, of course, about those Marines. And no, those conditions are not okay for uh, Marines, uh, even if the rats would just be uh, an adversary for them to go after. And when you're talking about leaks, mold, other major issues, absolutely unacceptable. And something that you'd hear about occasionally and maybe you experienced it. I got lucky. I lived in one barracks for a full-duty station. That was in Keflavik, Iceland. And they were pretty new and nice and everything smelled good. Everything was clean. Uh, It it was a good place to live. They had professional cleaners come in on like an every-other-day basis. It was really a pretty nice place and then I lived in a barracks uh, for a short period of time while looking for an apartment in Norfolk, Virginia that wasn't that nice and may have had some mold issues, but certainly didn't have rodents and no leaks or other major things that I knew about. Those were just, you know barracks, housing. It can be a little bit harder to keep track of those for the bases. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. it's because you have individual families living in them for three years. And there might be an inspection here or there. There might be an issue that they go to base housing about. But oftentimes, there's not a lot of interaction with that house and the base itself over those three years beyond an annual or semi-annual inspection or something like that. So those problems can build up over three years, and then it gets to a point where, yeah, you might be able to find a temporary fix, but then it comes back while somebody's living there. I mean, just a lot of issues. But whatever the case may be, This is unacceptable. And the senators, Senators uh, Feinstein and Harris out there, have uh, gone after the Pentagon and the DOD saying, hey, you need to fix this. Uh, However, the company that oversees the majority of Camp Pendleton's housing, Lincoln Family Housing, their president Jarl Bliss called out Reuters saying that the report had multiple inaccuracies that unfairly paint the company in a bad light. A statement from Bliss said, contrary to what the story would lead a reader to believe, we do not profit by skimping on service. To the contrary, we are most successful when we have satisfied residents who recommend LHM housing to other military families. I guess. I mean, there's, there's some of that. But the majority of military families are going to choose base housing because it's less expensive. There are less things that you need to do uh, as far as, you know, paying rent and all those different things that come with living out in the civilian place. Uh, but this is not good. And the statement from the senator said all of these conditions can create serious and costly health issues for the parents and children inhabiting these homes. With more than 7,000 families housed at Camp Pendleton, the potential impact is immense and alarming. Yeah. Yeah it certainly is. and uh, this is this is a case where I'm certainly in agreement with the politicians, get it fixed Pentagon, DoD and Pendleton. Well, we're trying to get things fixed for you at ConnectingVets.com. Best way for you to be kept abreast of everything we're doing, follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And that does it for this edition of Connecting Vets Daily. We'll be back tomorrow, and we are going to talk to JT from Black Rifle Coffee Company, as well as Joe Chanelli from AmVets. Nice big Thursday show headed your way. Hope you're here for it. See you tomorrow.